Thank you for tuning into the Apostolic Pentecostal Church podcast. You are currently listening to one of our iGrow series lessons. If you're in the Bloomington, Illinois area and want to sit in person, feel free to join us Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for worship in the Word. Can't make it in person? No big deal. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram and search Apostolic Pentecostal Church. Either way, we'd love to fellowship and worship with you. We hope to see you. Welcome back. I think it is the final piece. It's the, it's the piece that puts the rest of the Bible into place and makes sense. And so the next six weeks we're going to explore the who, what, when, where, and how of Acts. We're going to look into who, what, when, where, and how. Who, what, when, where, and how. But I'm going to put a lot of emphasis on the why of Acts. So we will look at who, what, when, where, and when, or who, what, when, where, and how, but why is going to be the driver for a lot of what we're going to talk about. Uh, and as I'm, I'm studying, I'm realizing it is going to be impossible to, to stay within the confines of Acts 1-1 to Acts 28-31. Impossible. Can't do it. Because... It's, it's the piece that makes everything else make sense. Right. When you put Acts into it, the rest of the word goes, Wah! it yeah. makes so much sense. So it's impossible for me to, to stay in. And as I'm studying, studying for this, there were, there were a couple moments, and I don't know if you guys have had this happen, where you're studying and something just overwhelms you and you have to take a step back and, you, you taught the book of Daniel. I'm sure there were moments you go like, whoa, I didn't even know that was in there. Mm-hmm. I've read it hundreds of times and still, I've never read that. And there, there was a moment uh, Monday afternoon, late Monday afternoon, and I, I read something that I've read hundreds of times. And, and I, I put my, I remember leaning back in my chair, putting my hands back and just sitting there thinking about it. And I, had, I got up and I walked, I walked around my room I walked down the hall, I walked down the stairs, still like this, I walked around my entire house, I went outside and sat on my front porch, walked back in the house, it was just overwhelming what, what God will do to you when you start breaking into his word. And again, it was something I've read hundreds, literally hundreds of times, and suddenly it just wowed me. So... There are, there are moments like that, and I, I'm assuming we're all going to experience moment like, moments like that. And I want to teach what I know and what I understand and what I've experienced. And hello, Tim. And Megan. Hi. <laughs> we got some more coming in. I'm going to pause just for a second. Everybody freeze. Get your doodle paper in case you get bored. But Pat, Sharona, I'm going to reiterate something I just said to everybody. Uh, we're going to we're going to take some time to explore the who, what, when, where, and how of Acts. But the the main emphasis is going to be on why. Why you're in the book you're in the book of Acts, right? You realize that that's a class you're in, okay? That's that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, and I also stated this: it's going to be impossible to stay. I picked Paul Frazier's class. I don't know. Oh, Tim. Student of the night. Well, I have 
a gift for you, Brother Pat, for coming. You just for you, just because you came. Here, this is for you. Thank you. Next week, next week, I'll bring a door prize and we'll have a winner for it. Um, but I'm not going to be able to stay within the confines of Acts. This is going to be much broader than Acts. I hope you're okay with that because Acts is that final piece that makes everything make sense. All right, I reiterated that for those of you who are here. Here we go. Foundational scriptures. I'm going to start in Acts chapter 2. Um, actually, there's probably a, there's one more foundational scripture that I'm going to start back on. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The last words of Jesus, final words of Jesus, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. That's Jesus' last words. Last words he spoke. Then he ascended, cloud enveloped him, and he was gone. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, repent. And baptize every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Verse 41, then they glad, that gladly received his word were baptized, the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Those are the key verses that, we are, that, that I think make up a good portion of this entire study. I said to the group that was here before, I said to you guys too, this is my favorite environment to teach in. Because now I get to learn and not just disseminate information. You guys all have experiences. Um, you've heard lessons. You've examined the word. I, I, I'm reiterating, but I want to share this. There were, there were two moments while I was studying for this week that I was so overwhelmed I had to stop and just walk around. Two times I had, I, that the word of God just blew my mind. Um, I hope that there are opportunities here tonight. This is a, a seasoned group. All of you have been around church a good portion of your life. You probably could quote most of this. You could probably quote most, or maybe a lot of the scriptures and acts. You know them. But let's dive in deeper. You cool with that? You going to go on this journey with me? Because it is going to be enlightening. I think we're all going to learn something pretty cool. Alright. We have to start with the history. Acts, written by Luke. And he concludes his writing around 60 A.D. So if you have a paper there, you, you can see the book of Acts. It can, it, uh, it's about 30 years. Starts in 30 A.D., ends about 60 A.D. So it's, it's a 30-year span that the book of Acts covers. 30 years of events are covered in the 28 chapters of Acts. Did you already know that? Everybody knew that? No. no. Not really. All right, so you learned something. 
There's one thing. I didn't know that either. You said 30 years? 30 years. So the book of Acts covers a 30-year span. Uh, I want to back up just a little bit. So just, just to set the scene for Acts, uh, this is in the Roman era where Rome is, uh, they, they own that part of the world, starting in about 63 B.C., to about 650 A.D., so 63 years before Christ and 650 years after the birth of Christ. That's the Roman Empire. That's a long span. Uh, 63 B.C., the Roman army under General Pompey, you've heard of him probably, begins to take over the Middle East. Uh, King Herod is established as the procurator. He is actually a Jewish citizen. He's not Roman. He's a Jewish citizen that, that is under the auspices of Rome, but he's like the governor of, of all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all of this area. After his death, these sections are broken off and given to family members, actually, of Herod. So he oversees it until 4 BC when he dies. Here's something that is very interesting. I think everybody should know this. You should know this, and that's the geography. I've got this cool little pen. So, it's, it's, they're states. So you've heard of Judea, you've heard of Samaria, you've heard of Galilee. Those are, those are predominantly the areas Jesus was in. So they're, they're like states. Just like you'd have Wisconsin, Illinois, and Kentucky. Just states. They're all connected. Um, Perea, Decapolis. This is where the demoniac, was the Decapolis, Jesus crossed the sea? You know, he was over here. Uh, Galilee was predominantly a... a uh, Gentile area, lots of Jews, but lots of Gentiles. Samaria, they were uh, the people didn't get along with the Jews. They, they, it was so bad that when you went from Galilee to Judea, they didn't go through Samaria. They went around Samaria. They didn't want to go through Samaria. So, so these guys didn't really get along with these guys. And it was because of, in the Old Testament when the Assyrians came, the Assyrians kind of took up camp there, and there was a lot of intermarriage. Syria even, even built their own temple. They built a temple, their own. So there's one temple, one. How many temples are there? And it's in Jerusalem. One temple. You talked about, I mean, I've mentioned this before, but I think it's worth reiterating. You talked about many temples that the Bible talks about, but there's one physical temple, one. So when you hear the word temple, they're not temples here, 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 here. But, but there are synagogues or places of worship in every city, like Jerusalem had hundreds of synagogues because you could only go a half a mile journey every day on the, on the Sabbath. So there had to be a synagogue within a half mile journey of everybody. So there were hundreds of synagogues, but there was one temple, and that temple was in Jerusalem, in the state of Judea, the state of Samaria, the state of Galilee. So just keep that in mind. Nazareth was in Galilee, Cana was in Galilee, Capernaum was in Galilee, Jesus had a home in Capernaum. Cool? Mm -hmm. Any point you want to interject with some knowledge you have, throw it out there. Mm -hmm. No need to raise your hand. Uh, Augustus, Caesar Augustus, so we talked about Rome. He was the emperor when Jesus was born. Uh, Herod the Great, again, was the local procurator. Procurator until 4 AD. Uh, Augustus died of natural causes. He was one of the few, only a couple that died of natural causes. Uh, but you may remember in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, 
And there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus and all the world's attacks. He was the emperor. Um, after Herod died, one of his sons was put into place. And then quickly, because of the way he treated the Jews, was quickly deposed. But just some interesting history. I want to go through this history because I want to get to the fun stuff. But some people like history like I do. And I just want to make sure we hit on it a little bit. Yes. You, want to, you like history? Yes. Okay. Do you have anything you want to add? Yeah. Okay. Please do. Uh, Augustus was followed by Tiberius from 1480 to 37 AD. I think this is probably the most interesting thing is that he was emperor in Rome through Acts chapter 9. So Acts chapter 9 is where we're introduced, introduced to Paul. So Tiberius was the emperor through that time. He also died of natural causes. Now you're going to see the rest of the emperors if you study these. Too many of them died of natural causes. <laughs> They're poisoned, a lot of them. Uh, he was emperor when Jesus was put to death. He was also emperor when Stephen was martyred. Some interesting things I saw. Tiberius was one of Rome's greatest generals. His conquests of Pannonia, Dalmatia, Retia, and temporarily parts of Germany laid the foundations for the northern frontier. Even so, he came to remember as dark, Reclusive and somber ruler who never really desired to be emperor. Pliny the Elder called him the gloomiest of men. Mm -hmm. He's mentioned in Luke chapter 3, verse 1, John 6.23, and John 6.1 mentions and refers to Tiberius. Uh, while he's emperor, Pontius Pilate is made governor of the state of Judea, which we talked about, state of Judea. Herod Antipas, not Herod the Great, it's his son Herod Antipas, is uh, over Galilee and Samaria, those two states. And then Philip, half-brother of Herod, was ruler of the region of Atria, which was so just some interesting facts. Back to Tiberius quickly. <laughs> <laughs> six weeks on the book of Acts. I don't really have an end tonight. I've got a lot of notes. I don't know how far we'll get. But we'll stop when we're done. We'll stop at eight-ish. And then pick it up next week in that spot. So there, I'm not sure. I don't know where we're going to end tonight. I have an end goal, but I don't know if we'll get there. Um, I thought this was interesting. There was considerable debate among historians as to when Christianity was differentiated from Judaism. Because Prior to Christ, you had Judaism. After the death of Jesus, that's when Christianity started building in popularity. Uh, Paul was martyred in about 62 to 65, 64, 65 AD. It's, it's kind of gray there. Uh, so he had the 30 years to help spread Christianity, but it 
Christians were martyred toward the end of Paul's reign, or Paul's life in Rome by Nero. I don't, I don't plan to get there this week, but Nero blamed a huge, he started a fire in Rome and then blamed the Christians. Hence the persecution of Christians began at that time. Uh, so I'm not sure when they started recognizing Christianity as a differentiator from the traditional Judaism. And I'm going to go ahead and say this now. Uh, I've got it in my notes later, and we'll talk about it at that point too. There was a great dispersion of Jews. Jews were in Israel. Until Babylon came in in 584 B.C., before Christ. And when Babylon came in, they took captive a lot of the Jews. And the Jews began to disperse throughout the world. Then Persia came in, even more dispersion. Then Alexander the Great in 330 B.C., so 330 years before Christ. Again, the Jews are starting to disperse. And then after Alexander the Great, there were... 55 different times in that next 300 years where a nation over was over the nation if it's another nation ruled over Israel 55 times they changed hands and so the Jews were dispersed all over the world so now you have Jews everywhere and this is key when you get to Acts chapter 2 know why? He's going to preach the gospel to the whole world. Okay. Thank you. I heard an awesome message on that one time. Well, good. <laughs> Share it with us in a minute. All right. Now, here we go. We're in Acts. Acts chapter 1. Are we ready? All right. Acts chapter 1. We're going to talk about the understanding, the promise, and the power. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. So the setting of this. I'm going to slow down because I get a little excited and I start going really fast. I'm going to slow down because I want to make sure everybody understands. The setting of Acts chapter 1. Jesus had just been crucified at the Feast of Passover. So he, he's just crucified. When? Passover. Passover feast. So he'd had three years of ministry. The first year was a year that was marked by multiple miracles. He did miracles all over the place his first year. Mainly in the state of Galilee. He did a few in Judea, but most of it was in Galilee. Galilee was predominantly uh, Gentile, as I said before. Judea was predominantly hardcore Pharisee Jewish Judaism. He did most of his miracles away from that atmosphere up in Galilee. He was not running into any, uh, any obstacle there to do the miracles. But it was marked by miracles. And what is significant about the miracles? I said this a, a couple weeks ago. But again, the more you hear it, the more it sticks. Miracles in the Bible, Old Testament, Old Testament Bible, were done at the hands of Moses. Moses did miracles. Struck the rock, spoke to the rock, you know, whatever. 
he's supposed to speak to the right, instruct the right thing. Uh, but he, he did things and miracles happened. Elijah and Elisha also performed miracles. No one else did in the entire Old Testament. Nobody. There were miracles, but man didn't do it. The sun stood still, but that wasn't a man that did that. Uh, the, the, Hebrew, the three Hebrew boys survived the fiery furnace, but no man did that. So you had Moses, Elijah, and Elisha, and now the New Testament kicks off with this guy. And what's he doing? Miracles. Here's the Messiah. He's come and he's doing miracles. Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, comes to Jesus by night, and what's the first thing he says to him? Anybody know? We know that you come from God. Why? Because, because you, no man can do what you're doing unless he the miracles. Comes from God. The miracles. No, yeah. no man can do the miracles that you're doing except God be with him. Yeah. No man could do these miracles. It's not happened before. So the religious leader is going, hey, there's something here. And that first year was miracles. The second year was a year full of teaching, and he, he taught his disciples uh, mostly about the kingdom of God. Um, lots, let me back up because I missed something in my notes. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. You look at Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, somebody, somebody got your Bible handy? Or your device? That's what I'll give away next week, a Bible. I've got Acts 2. <laughs> Acts 2.22. Acts 2.22. This is Peter's message. Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. Here, listen to what he says in Acts 2.22. Anybody? Somebody? Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. There you go. He said, Peter said, you know he was the Messiah because you saw the miracles. It's undeniable. He spent that first year doing the miraculous. And that was part of Peter's sermon on Acts chapter 2. You crucified this guy and you knew it. You still know you still crucified him. Um, the second year, again, teaching about the kingdom of God and, and the fact that it was not an earthly kingdom. Uh, Luke 16, 16 says, um, for the law and the prophets, the law, the Old Testament law and the prophets were until John the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and men are pressing into it. John's message, heads up, the kingdom of God is here. When John was put in prison, Jesus took up the mantle in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 and said, from that time, Jesus began to preach the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was his message. How many times have you heard the parables or seen the parables or read the parables where it says, Jesus in red letter says, and Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is as. He preached the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, the Pharisees came to him and said, show us, where, where's this kingdom of God? And he said, you can't. It doesn't come by observation. You can't see it. You can't go, oh, here's the kingdom of God, or here's the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is within you. Within you. And that was his message to the disciples, was kingdom of God. Uh, actually, he gave the keys to the kingdom of God to Peter in Matthew chapter 16. When he said, who do you say that I am? And 
Some of the disciples said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, you get the keys to the kingdom. And year three was marked by conflict and confrontation with religious leaders. Uh, seven times, seven times, we're not in the book of Acts. I noticed when I kept studying, I kept getting further and further and further away from the book of Acts toward Genesis. Actually, I made it all the way to Exodus chapter 12. <laughs> when I'm trying to go through the book of Acts, I'm going that way. I understand. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. But it's the... Um, seven times in the Gospels, the Pharisees said to Jesus, we know who your parents are. You cannot be God because we know your parents. They just, they, they couldn't get past that to accept that he was the Messiah. Because they knew who Mary and Joseph were. And so for, if, when you put yourself in the Pharisee's shoes, I've always, I've grown up being a, a despiser of the Pharisees. And when honestly, they were just trying to preserve, preserve that Jewish religion. And here was a guy that somehow they missed that this is the Messiah. Even though they saw the miracles, one of them, one of the Pharisees, Nicodemus, said something's different. And it, it impacted him enough where he was one who helped bury Jesus. But most of the Pharisees cited to, this guy's a blasphemer because he says he's God. And that was, that was totally against everything they stood for. So there was conflict. But they would not. They had opportunity to take Jesus. You ever wondered why they didn't take Jesus before they did? Uh, it's, it's what it says several times, because they feared the people. Because the people saw the miracles, they followed him. He, he took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 people. They thought this was the greatest thing, and they followed him. And so for fear of the people, they let Jesus go. But there was one, one incident that caused everybody to come together to say, all right, Jesus has to go. Again, we're talking about Acts. Not really, but we'll get there. But this is important. This, is, this helps make Acts make sense. Jesus was not in Bethany when Lazarus got sick. He was sick. He was actually significant. He was 60 miles away, which is a pretty good journey. Lazarus got sick. Lazarus dies. Jesus finally gets there. You know the story. And Jesus said it had to happen had to be this way. The Bible said Jesus wept. We could, we, we could do a whole time just to sit here and talk about what do you think Jesus wept. We, we did it at our house one night. It was, we took an hour just talking about why Jesus wept. Uh, it's interesting because people have different ideas. But Jesus wept. I have my idea because I think he knew what was coming. I don't think he was leaping, weeping for Lazarus. He may have been weeping because of the sadness of the Masses? I don't know, but he wept because his friend Lazarus had died. But he knew he was going to raise him. So he raises Lazarus from the dead. And there were, there were, Lazarus must have been a very popular figure because there were a lot of people there. And when Jesus raises Lazarus with all of these people around, 
the word gets out quickly. And the Pharisees say, we cannot deny this. There's nothing we can do to say Lazarus wasn't dead. So, they tried to kill Lazarus. The Pharisees wanted Lazarus killed. Look it up in, in John chapter 12. The Pharisees wanted Lazarus dead. They were going to kill this guy because... There was no denying that Jesus raised him from the dead. And so here's, here was the, that seminal point in Jesus' life that, that caused everybody to come together. Because the Sadducees, which were the other religious sect, they were not anti-Rome at all. They were like, let's just get along with Rome. We'll, we'll do our thing. We'll just get along with Rome. The Pharisees hated that Rome was there ruling them. They wanted no, nothing to do with Rome being there. But they came together on this one issue. And that Pharisee's perspective was, if... We let this guy live, the people are going to turn to him. The Sadducees said, if we let this guy live, the people are going to cause an uprising and Rome's going to come in and kill us all. So they both, their methodology, their, their uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Their, their philosophies came together. And they said, the high priest said, it's expedient that one man die. Just kill him because we have to have this guy dead for their sake and their sake. You want to say something? Oh, you just say man. Solve all, solve all the problems. Just kill them. <laughs> yeah, just kill him. The Messiah. So that's why they put him on trial and killed Jesus. Was that moment with Lazarus? Do you know that? You knew that. Do you know that, Megan? You knew that too. Tim, just say no. No. That's great. You learned. I, I knew it in part, but you made me understand it better. You're a very good teacher. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I don't know about being a good teacher, but I'm passionate about, I love teaching, and I love learning. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I guess they go hand in hand. Uh, so, Lazarus dies. And risen again, and culminates in the death of Jesus. who was then crucified during the Feast of Passover. This has been up here for a while. We haven't read any of it. He's been dead three days, and he's raised from the dead. This is Acts being introduced by Luke. The former trees, if you look at another verse, it says, I wrote one other book, the book of Luke. And then he says in verse 3, He showed himself alive after his passion or after his death, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So now we have three days plus 40. So 43 days he's been alive at this point. Jesus has. 43 days. Make sure I'm not skipping anything in my notes. 40 days teaching the kingdom of God. Three days in the grave and 40 days teaching. Yeah. Yeah. 43 days now since the death. Since the death. Since the death. On okay. what day did he die? Passover. If I had a gift, I'd give it to you. Give her one of your gifts. <laughs> we'll pass it around. <laughs> we'll see who gets it at the end. 
I don't think many people are going to enjoy it. I don't even know if you would, if you wanted or not, but I saw him like, ah! It's boat ropes. I don't even know what that is, but he's got a boat. I don't have a boat. I don't want a boat. I can't swim. Can you swim? No, it scares me. You're hydrophobic. You have a pool. Yeah, but it's only this deep. <laughs> I went down there. And there aren't fish in it. <laughs> Alright, so Acts chapter 4, or, or 1 verse 4. And being assembled together with them, and this is where I got stuck this week studying, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for promise. the promise. Of the Father, which said that you've heard of me. Verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And that's Jesus talking. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Now I've got to go back to Matthew chapter 3, 11. This is John talking. He said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The promise. Let me go back a little bit, just a little bit, to the last, probably during that, it's during that 40 year, or 40 year, 40 day span, Jesus is teaching his disciples one last time about the kingdom of God. Luke 24, verse 27, says, In the beginning of Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. And I read this for the hundredth time. It opened to their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And I stopped. And that's when I threw my head back and thought, how have I not seen this before like this? Walked around my entire house like this. Just my mind. People, they knew the scripture. But he opened their understanding. There's a level deeper than knowing. Yes. I can know something without understanding it. Yeah. Right. And that's what my goal is for, for this next six weeks is to to take myself and anybody else that wants to go from knowing it to understanding it. Why? Not just who, what, when, where, and how, but why? What's so significant? What? Why? This will, I hope it blows your mind because it did mine. I had to, I stopped, again, going the wrong way. <laughs> and back to Proverbs, verse four, verse or chapter four, verse seven. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her; she shall promote thee. 
We promote her. She shall bring thee honor when you embrace her. She shall give to thine hand an ornament of grace and a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Understand. And I have written in my Bible, Proverbs 3.13, so flip over to that. It says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things that you can desire are not to be compared to understanding. Length of days is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Then open he their understanding. Pause for a second. Anybody else curious as to why he didn't use the, the subjective pronoun of it? It shall give the hidden ornament of grace and a crown of glory. And shall it deliver to thee? It is more precious than silver. Or rubies. Length of days is in its right hand. Because you're in the book of Proverbs, and um, wisdom is put against um, the horse woman, their contrast. Jeff Arnold says that it's in the feminine uh, because it reproduces. That's where I'm at. He does what? I'm sorry. Who reproduces? It brings, she brings life. She brings life. She brings future into the present. She brings with her the life that, that it's, it's not it. it. It's her because she reproduces. And understanding, look at what, look what understanding produces. It's going to promote you, honor your grace and glory and length of days and riches and honor and pleasantness and peace and, and life and happiness. It comes with Understanding. Not just knowing, but understanding. What time is it? I have no idea. Oh man, I only have 20 minutes. I'm never going get to get through what I thought I'd get through. But she has the power to bring life. Uh, it's not enough to know something. We really need to understand it. So I know that I can go flip that switch and the lights will either turn off or on. I know that. But I have no understanding how that works, or if it breaks, how to fix it. I know it, but that's as deep as I can go. And I know that when I turn the key in my automobile, it should start up. And if it doesn't, I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> I have no idea or understanding, honestly, of how to, to fix that. So it's, is it good enough for me to know how it operates? Or would it be better for me to understand? And now I have a whole picture of it, not just my piece of it. I have to take it to someone who understands, if I don't understand. But if I know it and understand it, that's, a, that's another level. 
I, I know that I need the plumbing in my house to work, but I don't really know anything about how that works. I know how, I know that planes defy gravity, but I don't know how to fly that thing. I know what the Word of God says, but if I don't understand it, does it really profit me all that much? Sure, to some extent. But I want to understand it, because understanding brings oh, enlightenment and life to my life. It brings, it brings it so much deeper. Understanding brings a whole new dimension to my knowledge. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1.18 says, The preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish, but power to the saved because of their understanding. They don't understand it. Here's the second, the second time I got stopped this week. And I was studying for this. I don't know where this came from. I just wrote it down. And then I had to take a look. And I'd like to, I'd like to pause probably and maybe talk about this in 15 minutes. Do we have an emotionally driven response to God or an understanding-driven response to God? Is your response to God emotionally driven or understanding-driven? This was directed at me. Is, it, is my response to God predicated on how hard the beat is going? Jesus! Jesus! That's easy. Or, or when I'm in a, in a power-packed sermon uh, situation where, where this, the sermon's being delivered and it's powerful and, and my response to God is, oh. or can I respond to God outside of that when I'm by myself and not in a corporate environment because I understand my God. And I have to look at myself a minute and go, you know what? Which is it? I, the emotional stuff is great. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But, but do I have a deep enough understanding to have that response to God when it's just me? I'm going to open it up here in a second. But, but this, is getting way off, this is getting off my notes. And probably getting into some, another lesson I'm going to teach here later on. But it's something that has been going over and over and over in my head and my heart in the past couple days. The Word of God is given to us all. You and I talked about this, or I talked about it and you listened to me the other night. The, the Word of God is given to us. You have the same access to this as I do. Mike, the guy that came in, sit down, never seen him before, while ago, he has the same access to the Word of God that I have. Right. Somebody driving by, they've got the same access to the Word of God. The Word of God is available to everybody. You can access it, you can read it, it's, it's corporately available. But the Spirit is a whole nother level. And what the Spirit does is it takes me to an individual relationship with God. 
And when I'm spiritually connected with God, now, I'm assuming, that's, let's assume everybody in here has this spirit filled. You're filled with the Spirit of God. You now have access to the mind of Christ. It's not going to contradict what he wrote in here, but it's going to enhance what he wrote in here. I want to give you an example. Pat Carr. What was that guy's name? Scotty? Scotty. <laughs> I don't know if I guess, were you in uh, the, what, what class was it? No. Submission. Submission, submission, submission class. Yeah. And, and Pat shared a story. We've been talking about the love of God and, and being willing to hear the voice of God and do, do what the God tells you. That's easy to do when you're in a corporate atmosphere. When I'm in church and I feel the Spirit of God moving on me, it's easy for me to go, oh yeah, she's feeling it too. We're both, we're all feeling it. Yeah, yeah, that is God. I feel it. Or when the pastor says something like, yeah, and somebody's like, yeah, we're feeling it. We can, we can recognize that. You recognize that in a corporate environment. But when the Spirit of God moves on me on an individual level, that's when I go, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I don't have anybody to validate that with me. Yeah. Nobody's there to go, that's right, I'm with you on this. When, when Scotty started to walk out and you felt God go, don't let him leave or whatever you, whatever you like. Grab his hand. Grab his hand. In the middle of this warehouse, with other people being able to see it, grab that guy's hand. You have, you have to go. You have to be so in tune with the Spirit to go, yeah, I'm doing that. Not go, I don't know. I was talking to a guy, Monday night. He relayed this story to me. It's so similar to the story I told in that class that you were talking, we were talking about the level of God. He was in Chick-fil-A. Saturday, Saturday, he told me it was the day before Sunday, because it was close Sunday. He was in Chick-fil-A Saturday. And he and his boys, they were sitting at a table, and he said he saw a girl, she obviously had cancer. And he said he could not enjoy his meal because the whole time he was sitting there, he felt like he should go and offer to pray for her. He said, no, no, can't do that. We're in Chick-fil-A. So he didn't do it. He, he, they ate, and he, he got up, and he said he was walking out, and he looked down, and she made eye contact with him. And he said his heart burst. He kept on walking and walked on out, got in his car, and said, no, I can't. i got to go back in and pray for her. And he got back up, went back in, and she was gone. But being able to recognize and act on that impulse that says, hey, the Spirit of God is moving in your life right now. Let's do something. Not being able, or not, not needing to validate that with everyone else around you, but being able to know the mind of Christ. That is something. I'm, I'm just going to look personally. I, don't, I can't stay where anybody else is, but that's something I need to work on because it's so easy in a corporate environment to go, 
that's the Spirit of God. But it's so much harder to go, that's the Spirit of God. When he says, grab Scotty's hand and pray for him. That's harder for me to recognize. Now, there's probably people in here that can go, I was there. I'm not anymore. You may have gone past that where you were able to recognize right away. God is moving me to go do something, and I, I don't even think about it anymore. I just do it. Uh, you may have instances like that. I, I want to give us time to share that because we have like 10 minutes, and I'm not going to get into the rest of this yet because I, don't, I, I feel led. Let's just stop here for a second. Uh, I'm going to read a scripture, and then I'm going to open it up. You ready for this? It's not an axe. Shocker. It's in, I didn't know if I'd go here or not, but I'm, I'm, I'm here now. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. New Living Translation. You have it? You have your Bible? You have a, I want everybody to read this. New Living Translation, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll wait till you get there. You got it, Kira? Everybody there? Mm -hmm. yeah. Alright. But it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. This is contingent upon us being Spirit-filled. If you are Spirit-filled, you have access to God like no other. You have access to God that people don't have in the corporate Word of God. This is the Spirit of God that gives you additional access. But it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. For His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts, I don't know what you're thinking, except that person's own spirit. You're the only one that knows what you're thinking right now. I can't tell what anybody says. You all know what you're thinking. I don't know. No one can know what a person's thinking except that, that person. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit. We have that spirit. Not the world's spirit. So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. And when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. Why? They don't have God's Spirit. But you do. You have access to the Spirit of God, to the thoughts of God, to the mind of God. How many of us actually exercise that? We actually have access to the mind of God through His Spirit. But if we're not aware of that and we don't put some effort toward that, we're doing ourselves a huge disservice. It can take us from knowing to understanding. And understanding the mind of God what could you and I do? Get my glasses back on and finish this up. 
People who aren't spiritual can't receive truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them. And they can't understand it. They can't understand it. People can't understand spiritual things. They don't have the Spirit because it is foolishness. Anybody ever encountered somebody that thought you were a fool? Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. But they don't understand it. You can't blame them. You can't blame someone who doesn't get it. They don't get it because they don't have the Spirit. What they're driven by is a carnal, carnal nature, and the carnal nature is enmity or against God. Sorry about that. <laughs> Distracting squirrel. Uh, the carnal nature is enmity against God. It's against God. So the carnal nature is not going to accept the things of God. So we cannot blame someone who doesn't get it. You can't be mad at them. They just don't get it. you got to love them, right? You have to love them. And maybe that love will trigger a desire for the Spirit of God. Sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Verse uh, 16 For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand those things, for we have the mind of Christ. This is, I'm going to give you a preview of future weeks here. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And I think a lot of what we have heard for many years and what I myself have taught is the Spirit is power. The Spirit is power. And it is. But that's not all it is. It's the mind of Christ. It's far more than power. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you to do what? Ways. You have to answer that question to yourself. Receive power to do what? To, to sit at church? You need power to sit in the church? <laughs> you need power to judge others? Do we need power to get to heaven? The same power that raised him from the dead dwells within us. Right, the same power. But do we, is, is that it? Is that all I need the power for? No. No. Power. Power. For the abundant life. It's just sitting there in a lot of cases unused. I've seen it in my life many times. Yeah. I've got the power. Me and power. But not me and power. Josh kind of hit on that a little bit. Uh, Pastor Josh, when he was preaching Sundays, it's having, having God with you or having God in you. What, 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 do, you, what do you need? God in you. You need the power and exercise the power. You got the power. Do something with um, it. I didn't get anywhere near where I hoped to go. But I'm going to stop. You have five minutes. This is what's going to happen. Nobody wants to talk, and then somebody's going to talk, and then we can't get anybody to shut up. That's what happens. I'll, Tim! I'll Tim! Thank I'll you. Swear. I'm thinking about the, uh, you said, um, uh, I'm tired, so it's going to take a minute. Um, you have two minutes. <laughs> when, when someone first comes to God, they're all excited. They, they show the outward emotion. All you know, They can cry easy, they can sing one song and start shouting. Sure. But it seems like the further they go along in the relationship, there's less emotion and more 
the understanding replaces the emotion. As a child and as a teenager, they're oh, wow. emotional creatures. But as you get older, you're not so you, you are able to handle different situations. It's <laughs> Mark Nino over here. And so get up here! Get up there and teach, Tim! I'm gonna sit right here. <laughs> you're able to handle situations um, differently than you were because the Bible says when we come to Christ, when we, when we get the Holy Ghost, we are babes. Mm -hmm. we, we all start as a baby. And babies are emotional. Then, they, then toddlers are emotional. They're not as emotional as babies. And then you get into the school age. Are they emotional? Yes, but they're not as emotional as they were as a toddler. So the emotion decreases. So because I was wondering, and I'm not going to try to offend anybody, but I think Sunday morning, was it Sunday morning, there were, I've got the feeling that some people were expecting it to be a shouting service. I'm, I'm thinking right. And I, I don't know, not, not that Sunday, it was maybe Sunday before. But anyway, I, I was feeling like it, it wasn't that type of emotion to me. It was a different type of emotion. I was feeling it differently. Now, somebody may have felt like shouting, because I, I couldn't watch Sunday night service. I think it was Sunday, because I couldn't watch Sunday night service, and somebody said they didn't do it online. And someone said you had a good service. Well, I take that good service means there must have been some shouting. Am I right or wrong? Am I right or wrong? Was? was there a shouting? Okay. In the altar call, I think it was trying to get it in the morning, but God did it Sunday night. I wasn't I wasn't able to watch it. I, I was kind of upset that I couldn't watch Sunday night service. But we should have been there. Just um, I was taking Leo. Uh, it's just my thought that as we get older in our walk with God, our, when we get more understanding, we get yeah. understanding. Yeah. The emotions diminish. The emotions still there. It, we're just able to control it and understand. Just understand. What? Can I ask yeah. you a question? I hope you're not saying that you get over like rejoicing and jumping and shouting to God. I hope you're talking about like anger emotion and and those emotions because like to me you should never ever let your rejoicing and your exuberance and your expert to me. Like one thing I absolutely never, ever want to let go is if we sing about being saved, rejoicing in it. I mean, rejoicing in it. You know, never losing. I mean, that's more than winning the whole world. I mean, you've got an eternal life. Yep. So I, I take it as when that's all I know is emotion and don't have any understanding, it's not as deep. But I don't think you would ever replace shouting and replace emotion with understanding. Yeah, I mean because well, Jesus said don't you to worship Him, you must worship Him in spirit and, and, and in truth. And in truth, yeah. truth. understanding. Understanding. Yeah. Yeah. understanding. That's very good way to put it. Yeah. So it's not just the spirit. Yeah. Now I, I now was, I accompany spirit with yeah. understanding. I don't think we ever grow should ever grow out of a shouting service and say we're adults. We don't do that. We don't have that emotion. I think that that's not true. I, I, I would agree. I think you would agree with that, too. I yeah. agree with that. I don't think that's what you were saying, but I can see where you almost That's why I said there. I yeah. hope that's yeah. not yeah. what you're saying. 
I know Tim well enough, I don't think that yeah. you would ever think that, but go ahead, Al. I, I agree with that 100%, but I think we've also got to the point to where every service we want to do shouting, and sometimes that is just the emotion because of the beat, because of, and that's that babe, teenage, so on and so on. It seems like you should have we're stuck at, but we need to shout because, and then when the preacher starts, those same people shouting, I'm not trying to get on anybody, I'll point it myself. Yeah. They don't say amen or get behind the preacher, and that's where I think you're saying the growing. Well, here, here's where you're in a church, in a church service, you're going to have people at all different stages. And you have, everybody's got to be fed. We don't want anybody to go away unfed. And some people are learning. And you don't just feed the adults at a table at Thanksgiving and let the, well, you don't like turkey, that's too bad. No, you, you give everybody something. And somebody's, everybody has to have something in a service. Yeah. Uh, that's why you better be anointed because the larger the crowd, the, the more difficult it would be to hit to, to, to satisfy all the needs. It's, it's, it's funny how God can actually take care of all that. We don't even really think about it, but God takes care of that in a service. But keep, yeah, so, and I hope that wasn't, I didn't mean to sound like, I don't like the emotion because I love the emotion stuff. But I think we add understanding that the emotion and understanding is just coupled together makes it beautiful. You know, just it brings life into that. I'll say this. I remember there have been times in my life where I've had man in emotional service and I go away and I'm thinking, oh, I'll never fail God ever again. Anybody ever been there? And you walk out, mm -hmm. and you're attacked, and you, pretty soon you're, you're back doing what you were doing before. Uh, because I don't have that depth of understanding. I just had a, an emotional experience. So I need to couple those two things, and I learn that as I go, as I get older, like you were talking about. The more I, the older I get, spiritually mature, physically mature, the more I understand. It's a lot like you're, uh, <clears throat> you brought up Scotty. In that whole that whole instance, I, I said it to you, and I, I think I said it that Wednesday night. There was so residue from the teaching Wednesday night, the understanding that I had, and who I need to be to people that gave me the boot to grab Scotty's hand. Now, if there's a Sunday, Sunday service when it's nothing but emotion and you walk out Monday, I'm not grabbing Scotty's hand, but the, the depth that we went into and all of those, those lessons on submission, there was more understanding there versus, you know what I'm saying? Me so, just. That's probably why Pastor has I Go on Wednesday. We can have those yeah. bang up services on Sunday, but he knows. Yeah. That's not going to sustain us without being fed. Right. right. So he, he, I, I love these high growth classes. So to answer your question that you read a little bit ago, for me personally, what was it? Are you? Is your response to God emotionally driven emotional or understanding? Or understand? For me, it depends on the day. 
Now, have I, have, did I wake up today and crucify my flesh? So much so that I had an understanding of what God wanted to do with me today. Or do through me today. If I didn't, it was probably a very emotional day. Or that's the way I would have responded if something would have happened. But if I'm crucifying my flesh, and I'm trying to get into the Word to understand what God wants to do through me, then my response would be emotional. It's the daily grind. It's not Sundays and Wednesdays. It's the Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, it's Thursday, Friday, Friday, Saturday. It's everything. Those are the days of understanding. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, any other final thoughts? I think we're past. Yeah, we're six minutes past. Sorry. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, this is where we're going to start next time. The promise. I promise. Because uh, we may not make it through Acts chapter 3, but we're going to give it a shot. Uh, we <laughs> you got six weeks to get through Acts chapter 3. Alright, Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to break your word open tonight. I pray that you give us understanding. Give us understanding as we seek and break into your word that you would give us the understanding that you promised in your word. Let your spirit guide us. Help us to be aware that we have the mind of Christ in us and to be aware of those, those moments when you are speaking to us at an individual level and to, to seize those opportunities that you've been before us every single day. 